Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm not a puker. I'm a pooper. Josh Endress. So I hit the... uh, um we're, we're going up and I'm just like, oh gosh, you know, elevation starts hitting me and anyone who, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but like, if I'm not acclimated well, which I was not here, I just went basically right up and, um, and you know, we're nearly at 14,000 feet and I'm just like, oh gosh, you know, um, I, I don't puke. Some people puke. I, mine come. That's my favorite. It's my favorite. My favorite line from the book, Josh. It's yeah. All right. I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not a puker. I'm a pooper. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And that—that's the line. And so, so anyway, hey man, I gotta stop. Was that was that, that was that was that broken out in a big pull quote on the on the page somewhere? I don't, I don't know if don't, that was a pull quote. I don't. Th- I don't it think it was, but, I, but it, it definitely jumped off the page at me. I'm not a puker. It's I'm easier a pooper. to write it and you know, no not know when people read stuff like that than it is to say to somebody face to face but uh <laughs> honestly that might be the opening quote of this episode i might start off with i'm not a puker i'm a pooper josh endress <laughs> i give you permission okay uh, good. but uh at any rate we um i'm i am hopeless man as far as i'm concerned this is bringing back memories of the trip i talked about previously um a lot of snow bad weather i am not feeling well and uh and we're lost i'm doc and this is the john freaking mirror pod
Welcome to the John Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's content. Well, listeners, I have to say that I'm really excited to talk to my guest today. I always am, really. But today's guest is taking us back to the area we love, the JMT. I found him on Instagram under the handle jmt guy so i just had to reach out to him and boy am i glad i did after he agreed to come on the pod he shared that he was an author and he sent me a copy of his book which just blew me away and we're going to talk about that book a little bit later but welcome to the john freaking your pod josh endris hey man glad to be here thank you so much for having me doc and am I, getting, forward to this. am I getting the pronunciation of the, of the last name correct? That was perfect, man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Now, we usually go by trail names here on the podcast, but I understand that in 10 years in the Sierras, you, you have not picked up a trail name. I didn't. Uh, you know, I'm the same guy as I am on the trail as I am off the trail. So I, I don't know if that's the reason I never picked up one or uh, I, I did throw that out to my friends who had been with me back there a number of times and... Uh, they uh, happily gave me some names to uh, to throw out your way. Uh, I don't think I'm going to share them, though, as they weren't exactly uh, uh, <laughs> a label I want on myself. <laughs> Very good. You, you, you do have the right to refuse trail names if it, yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't fit. So there you go. All right. Well, for the, for, for, uh, the sake of our podcast, then, it's just Josh. So just Josh. Josh. That's it, man. Got it. <laughs> Josh, have you listened to the podcast before? Uh, a little bit, yeah. After you reached out to me, yeah, I checked it out. You've had some, uh, uh, you really had some awesome guests on here, and people are doing just so much great work in the outdoors right now. It's uh, I'm humbled to kind of be on it. So yeah, thank you. And that tradition continues with this episode. I've got another oh. great guest tonight, so really excited <laughs> thank about <you>. that. <laughs> Hey, I ask if you listen to the podcast, not not to solicit uh, feedback or or, or uh, uh, compliments, but to make sure that you're aware of a regular segment that we have that is called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. So as we get to the end of the episode, I'll turn to you and I'll ask Josh, what, what, uh, what pro tip do you have for our listeners out there to make their next outdoor adventure even better? So sure. don't yeah. be surprised when we get there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Freeze up, man. <laughs> <laughs> And then another feature we've been doing this season is the must-bring gear review. And here's how it works. If you were to let your, a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, Josh, what, what is your must-bring piece of gear when you're heading out to the Sierras? Right, right. Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a photographer. Oh, I'm maybe uh, – well, I am a photographer – and uh, that kind of goes with a lot of extra gear many times. And so my pack is never light. Um, and so I kind of gave up on like, well, I want to get it under 30 pounds because sometimes it's just not going to happen. Um, but the one piece of equipment that makes a difference for me, and this is a small thing, but I think it goes a long way, um, are the right pair of socks. If your feet are comfortable, you will be better off. Uh, 
I, I, I'm way better off. So if you're not blistering, if your feet are breathing, so the, and <laughs> it seems it's not like a super nice tent or something like that, but I, uh, one brand that I particularly came to really love as uh, the darn tough socks, uh, my feet breathe. I can wear them like three days in a row and they still feel great. And, um, I don't think my feet stink that bad afterwards either. So, you know, it's a, that's a plus too, I suppose. But at any rate, if my feet are comfortable, I'm better. And that's an important piece for me. Okay. So a couple things there. Uh, <laughs> number one is when we get off the trail, we really can't smell our own stink anymore. It's just, you know, it's, it's pervasive. And so you can tell by the people's it. reaction around you usually. That's right. So <laughs> unless you're, unless you're pulling those feet out of your shoes and sticking them up by someone's face, you probably, you probably don't know if they stink or not. So I uh, don't put it past me. I'm sure that's <laughs> happened before. <laughs> hey, are darn tough socks. Are those toe socks or are those just like regular socks? Regular socks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, somebody, somebody, uh, a, a previous guest, uh, I think a couple of previous guests have talked about the Injinji toe socks. Oh, I've never how, tried them. How great yeah. those are! So I, I got myself a couple of pair, and I'm I'm uh, going to be using them this summer on my my hikes. So nice, yeah. Looking I'll up. I'll check it out as well. I'm always looking for the right answer there. That's right. Got to got to take care of the feet. Take care of the feet. The rest will follow. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> also want to go back to your comment about uh, the, the weight of your pack and all the <laughs> camera equipment. So I, it's safe to say we're not going to have a, a, an extended conversation here about ultralight uh, <laughs> practices on the trail with, with Josh tonight. No. <laughs> I wish, but no. <laughs> Yeah. But in terms of, in terms of sleeping out there, I mean, are you a tent guy, a tarp guy? Do you cowboy camp? How does that work? Um, I usually bring a tent. Uh, if, if I'm solo, you know, I'll bring a tent. I have a big Agnes actually that I, I use. I think it's a, uh, um, you know, it's a one person tent. Um, and it, it works out well, you know, it's maybe just over two pounds. Um, uh, and, but if I bring another, if another person is back there with me, <laughs> we share regardless and we'll figure that out. So right. that, that takes a burden off of me. And then, um, depending on what I'm doing, uh, I may not bring a tent at all. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind sleeping under the stars. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. At a certain, certain elevation where, you know, critters aren't going to mess with you too much. Right. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Now, the, the bag that you do carry um, with all that camera equipment, is it a, like a 60 liter or how, does, how big is it? A 70 liter. A 70 so liter. Wow. I carry a 70. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. um, Osprey Aether 70. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and, um, and even then, I still have stuff hanging off the sides of it. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, it fits. I've had it for, oh gosh probably close to six years now I've still used the same pack and so it's 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 really held up well I don't I don't take it easy on those things and uh yeah but I typically yeah I I have the the, besides the overnight gear and the food which is fairly standard you know in anyone's backpacking trip it's about 15 pounds extra of lenses tripods and camera body Mm -hmm. okay yeah now, I know you're not a gear junkie, but anybody who has spent as much time out in the Sierras as, as you have, I mean, you, you obviously have some familiarity with gear. So mm-hmm. um, how has gear changed? I know your book uh, covers the span of 2010 to 2020. How, how has gear yeah. changed over those 10 years? When you, when you started, um, what, what kind of evolution or what kind of changes have you made to your kit? I mean, you know, it, like most people, it would be weight. 
I think yeah. uh, weight has just, the, the stuff you're able to carry now, I mean, it is so much lighter than, you know, previously, even with all my camera stuff, you know, like I, this 10 years ago, my, my pack, what I carry now would have been 75, 80 pounds. Now, you know, at the most, you know, I'll get it to 45 or 50 and I can get it below that too, depending if I leave a couple things behind. And so weight has definitely been a huge shift and then comfort too, honestly, like, you know, backpacks, (laughs) it just weren't comfortable before. And, you know, my shoulders hurt always after those things. And, uh, you know, now with they've designed them, I mean, you know, I don't know all the engineering behind it, but I do know I feel a lot better my back carries a lot of the weight as opposed to my shoulders. And maybe I've just learned to pack better too over the years, right? You don't shove every possible thing inside the top of your pack. <laughs> it usually helps but uh, and keep the heavy stuff toward the bottom. But nonetheless, comfort level and weight have been the biggest uh, things that I think have changed. Uh, you know, it's been an evolutionary process, but certainly from 2010 to where we are now, it's a huge jump. Right. Right. And through hikers always talk about their base weight. And, uh, you know, we, we know base weight means, you know, what the pack weighs without food and water. Yeah. I think, but I think when you're a photographer, there are, there's, there's an additional component, right? I mean, there's, there's base weight and then there's base weight plus camera weight. And then there's base weight plus camera weight plus food and water. And so, yes. I mean, if you're bringing, if you're bringing, I don't know how many pounds of camera equipment with you, you certainly are going to focus on that base weight and say, how, how can I get this lighter? What can I, what can I change and, and uh, yes. leave out if I have to? Uh, so I'm not carrying a 70 pound pack, like you said. Yeah. And, and honestly that you can, you can do that to an extent. And that is, you know, maybe you don't bring a tent. Um, you know, I, I still bring a sleeping bag, <laughs> you know, it's a Sierra, it's, it's cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and honestly, if you can bring another person who is like behind what you're doing, and thankfully, I have a lot of great friends who, honestly, at the drop of a hat, they'll go uh, with me. And, um, and they don't mind shouldering some of that load. And because and, they, they know the end goal of all of this. And, and so they're, they're cool with just being a part of these adventures and these stories that have uh, developed over the years. And so that, that honestly, I know it's not like a, a, a like hard and fast solution, but, you know, taking another person back there and just, you know, sharing each other's kind of burdens in that way is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. When I take my 22 year old son out on hikes, I, <laughs> I, I certainly, I certainly share the burden, but I don't yeah. take any, I don't take any of his stuff. I, I give him yeah, lots sure. and lots of my He's stuff. 22 so. years old, man. You don't need yeah, you give it to him. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Hey, before I forget, our Must Bring Gear Review is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company. I neglected to say that right off the bat, but you want to get that little plug in there. And then also, I spent a little time this afternoon uh, messaging back and forth with a former guest, a former and future guest by the name of Gabe Peterson, who is a trail runner. Uh, He and and, uh, his buddy, Kevin, Gabe and Kevin, they fast packed the JMT uh, a couple of years ago and they came on and told about that experience, but they've also had a number of adventures and experiences since then. So they're going to come on in a future episode, probably in August and, and uh, share their, their latest adventures. But in talking with Gabe this afternoon, he is going to be running the Badwater 100 on July 17th, which coincidentally is the same date that this episode will come out. So he's running the Badwater 100 on July 17th, and he has a fundraiser up to raise funds for that race and also 
uh, to find a cure for type one diabetes, which his daughter Sky suffers from. So I told him that I'd give him a little plug there for this fundraiser. Check out the the uh, John Freaking Muir. Uh, pod Facebook page. I've got a link on there for that fundraiser. Even though the race is happening today, uh, it's never too late to raise some more money for type one diabetes. So please check it out and help them out. There you go. Okay. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit, Josh, and talk about your origin story. This always intrigues me to find out how people got involved in, sure. in the outdoors and hiking. And, and I want to hear about photography as well. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Us, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and uh, what your family was like, brothers, sisters, what kinds of sports and hobbies, and, and how, did, how did the outdoor adventure cult suck you in? <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's great, man. Um, so I grew up, and I still live, uh, in a small town in Southern California called Yucaipa. And um, we are, it's basically at the base of the San Bernardino Mountains, and then we also are home to Yucaipa Ridge Mountains, And so growing up, um, honestly, from my parents' backyard, literally, I was, um, I would, I would sketch pictures of the mountains when I was a little kid. I just sit out there and I draw on this paper and just really hoping one day to like go explore them. Honestly, like, uh, I've mentioned this before to people, but like, just since being a kid, I didn't really know how to articulate it, but becoming an adult, you know, I've sort of learned over the years that. There was, there was this mystery of the mountains to me. And I think there still is. Um, it was like a tension of like, they were so beautiful, but at the same time, there was this danger element kind of lurking behind them all the time. And, and that tension between those two things really became a draw for me. Um, just growing up, I, it was, it was this mystery that I just wanted to know more about. So, um, you mentioned, I'm going to, I'm going to divert a little bit to other past and then bring it back. Uh, but, uh, so, so anyway, growing up, um, yeah, I, I, the only real sport I played was, was hockey. I played ice hockey and I loved it. Uh, you know, I, I don't play anymore, but I still enjoy the sport. And, uh, hang on, Josh, rate, hang on, Josh. You, you grew up in Yucaipa, California yeah. <laughs> and you play, you played ice hockey. I did, yeah. that, that's not a common combination. <laughs> there were a few of us in town and, uh, you know, we were able to, uh, we'd get together, we'd play and, uh, man, where there wasn't ice, you know, we'd get out on the rollerblades and go play at like a tennis court, you know, or whatever. And uh, until we got kicked off, uh, you know, back in the day where it was just, you know, hockey was just like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, but, my, both, both my parents are from the Midwest. And oh, okay. when, I, when I was growing up, they would drag me to the fabulous forum to watch the Kings play. Yeah. And back in those days, in the 70s, there were very few fans. And so they'd let you in, no matter where you bought your ticket, no matter where you, what seat your ticket was in, they'd let you move down to the glass because <laughs> they wanted to make sure that, that the TV picked up. That's it. it yeah, like well, a packed stadium. We, we did the same thing. Uh, the pond in Anaheim, back when it was called the pond. And, uh, you know, we would, <laughs> we would come in and we'd have our like cheap tickets and then we could run down to the top. They never kicked us out. They just let us do it. It was great. Yeah. Right. So I had that uh, culture of hockey growing up. And then I said, you know what, I want to play hockey as an adult. And so I, you know, when I was like 20, 21, I joined a, an amateur adult hockey league for, oh, for nice. until, yeah. until I broke my, my ankle three consecutive years. And you know, that was it for me. That, had to that's hang- it, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's an ankle breaking sport. Yeah, it is. But, so I played the hockey through high school. And then once I got out of that, 
even before all that, I, I had studied music. So I was a classical guitarist, I still am. And uh, I learned how to play really young. And it had been my passion my whole life. Music was just, it always flowed out of me. And um, I still love to play and always have since being a kid. And so anyway, I, um, uh, when I was in college, I got a scholarship for music uh, to Cal Poly Pomona. And um, I was majoring in, in math at the time. And then uh, my, uh, the, one of my music professors just said, you need to drop everything else and just focus on music. And uh, so I said, all right, fine. And, uh, I, and I did eventually uh, come to that decision. And so through that, I was, um, I was a soloist and, and I had a hard time on the stage. I would practice, practice, practice. I was a good player. But then when it came to the stage... I just suffered a ton of anxiety and um, I couldn't quite uh, just get across this, the plane that I knew I was capable of and it was really bothersome. So I, I struggled for two years probably or so with that really bad. I would just shake up there and <laughs> I could tell some really funny stories, but I won't go into those yet. But uh, they, anyway, uh, eventually started studying some of the composers I was playing and, and one had a big impact on me as he does pretty much every musician in classical music, really any genre, but uh, J.S. Bach. And, um, you know, we, if you're a music student, you, all you do is study Bach for the most part uh, to a degree if you're in theory. Um, and then if you're a guitar major or any kind of stringed instruments, you, you have to eventually you encounter Bach and the music was really moving to me. And, um, and I just felt like this whole connection with getting away from the technique of what I was doing and more into expressing the message behind the music. And, um, and that kind of set me free in a lot of ways artistically. So um, performing now became a vehicle of like expression for me rather than, gosh, I just hope I play all the notes. Right. You know, it, it right. was, that changed for me. And when that clicked, um, you know, that opened up a whole new world for me. And, uh, and, and from there, basically, once I finished college, I, my wife and I got married, or my girlfriend and I got married. And, uh, <laughs> and then, um, uh, and that's really when I started hitting the outdoors again, because I, I had taken a break, I'd always kind of been in it when I was in town, but never photographed it. And then I, I went out to Yosemite before the wedding with a couple of buddies. And, and I just thought, wow, you know, I, 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 I saw, it was very similar to when I encountered Bach playing, playing through the fugues or the, the lute suites. It was, it was this sort of seeing the raw, rugged landscape as a work of art to me. And it had that same sort of religious awakening, like, thing going on with me at the time too where I, where I felt that in music and then I was seeing it in nature and um and it was just something that I had to it became like a must like I had to go pursue that I had mm -hmm. to figure out how to convey this message that that helped me so much uh become a better artist in music and figure that there was some purpose for me playing or purpose for me being here and I felt like through landscape photography, that message could also be conveyed um, through just the art found in nature. Um, some sort of meaning and purpose kind of behind 
you know, us being here and um, the intentionality behind all that. So I, uh, I really latched onto that. And that honestly became the impetus for all the outdoor adventures after that. Right. Just, just wanting to experience that myself and then wanting to share that with others. Right. So. Now I've got, I've got, got a number of things to unpack here. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of ground we just covered and there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of comments, a lot of comments. I want to make, no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, first of all, I am in awe of musicians because I have no musical talent. I can barely play the radio. So yeah, it's, it's tough. So congratulations there. That's, that's always so impressive to me. And um, you talk about when that, that switch flipped for you in music mm-hmm. with, with JS Bach. And then, so was Yosemite when the switch flipped for you? Uh, I wouldn't say you know, Yosemite was sort of, um, kind of pushed me to that next level, but I had been out to the Sierras before that. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew already how much I loved it. Uh, and uh, my first adventure in the Sierras was uh, Mount Whitney <clears throat> when I was in seventh grade. I didn't do the mountain, but we went up there and went up to like Lone Pine Lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember just being there going like, whoa, there's just this random lake out here with all this granite around it. And I just thought, this is awesome. And I was in awe of it. And again, being young and not really understanding how to articulate some of that, those feelings that, um, you know, as I matured as, as an artist, um, you know, sort of understanding some of those, what those were um, later in life, um, you know, it, already, it had a big impact on me pretty early in life. But Yosemite after that was really where I, I just connected all the dots, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. Now, I had a former guest on here by the name of Jay Wilson who wrote a book called Elevation Gain. And in our discussion, he, he struck upon a phrase that really, I think, uh, explains it very clearly for me and, and for our listeners out there. Whenever I've come back from my hikes, you know, I've got my iPhone out there and I'll take pictures and I'll, I'll bring them back and I will show my friends and family, hey, look at yeah. this place, look at this place. And they're like, oh yeah, that's nice. That's nice. I'm like, no, no, it's not nice. It's spectacular. It's unbelievably spectacular. It, 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 it's so spectacular, it, 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 it moves you inside. That's how spectacular yes. it is. Yeah. And they look back at the picture and they say, yeah, that's nice. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. And so Jay, Jay Wilson, he, he put it perfectly. He talked about the frustration of thousand word pictures for million word places. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is a huge frustration. And, and I think that's why uh, that in general is like how, from a technique perspective, how do I, how do I bring that million word picture to somebody? It's never going to be like being there. It won't be, but uh, you learn as a photographer, I mean, I won't go too far down this, but um, you know, when people talk about, Oh, you know, we can do this section to this section and this amount of time, it'll be this amount of miles if you're on the JMT or whatever, or you're doing a summit or whatever, it, as a photographer, you have to stop and say, actually, no, I want to be here because the lighting is going to be at its best at this time of the day. And so we're going to have to stop a little short or we're going to have to go a little longer. And you have to make those calls as a, as a photographer, knowing that, yeah, we're not going to be able to do as much ground as you're hoping because I really want to photograph this spot. Well, we're going to pass it. You can photograph it. No, that's the thousand word picture. Right. And, and you, you, and so you have to, you have to be intentional about those times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And so how are you paying the bills these days? Are you doing it through classical uh, music or are you, are you doing it through (laughs) photography or something else? 
No, um, so classical music, I think I made a collective of like a thousand bucks over the lifetime of being a musician. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's about 10 times as much as I made doing a podcast. So. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I play all the time still, but I, I mainly volunteer these days. I, honestly, I love it though. I, I have three kids and I think it's great for them to see. It's fun for me to do that for them in ways, so um anyway um paying the bills yeah i so i do have a full-time gig um i'm uh been a number of different things mainly a designer graphic designer and web developer i've done both so um i was an art director for a magazine called garden design for a number of years um and was a photographer for them as well and that's that was an awesome gig you know just going to places photographing gardens it wasn't these huge outdoor adventures, but it was still honing my skills and, and then being able to put that all together in a story, um, you know, much like the book did, <laughs> but doing that on a magazine level, you know, a quarterly magazine for five to six years was a lot of fun for me. Um, and, uh, and now I work for a, a tech company in Orange County called Secure Off, and uh, they do like identity security when you like log into things, make sure that you are who you say you are mm-hmm. and so technology is great. It's awesome. And so I basically do, I just kind of lead the design there and then do all the web development for them as well right now. And, uh, and you know, like many in my position, we freelance. So I do a lot of freelance work where I design things for other people, you know, just projects that I enjoy doing. And so I pay the bills with that. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Got Got it. it. Pay the bills and pay for your adventures that way. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and before we leave classical guitar in the rear view here, uh, are we gonna? Are you gonna uh, serenade us with any songs tonight? Uh, oh, I any didn't... any riffs from from you know, some, maybe some classic rock songs or? I would totally do it. Um, I don't, I busted a nail. You can see it right there. Uh, and there's like my normal length there. I'm a little uh, timid, but I, you know, well, I don't know. Let's let's. Uh, I don't have one next to me at the moment, but um, okay, maybe maybe no, in the second, we'll maybe in the out. second, we'll maybe, in, later. maybe yeah. in the second segment then. Okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, very good. And you know, and I've got here, you know, as a as a thousand word photographer, um, I've got something here in the notes that says photography, your philosophy behind it, and its impact on you. I don't, I don't even know if that's a valid question to a million word <laughs> photographer. What what can you tell us about? just how you approach photography and how you approach this, this magnificent book that you put together. Well, thank you uh, for that. Um, and honestly, it's going to, we, we've just, we've touched on it already a little bit, but at the end of the day, it, it really goes back to that. Um, you know, that that's a spiritual thing for me and at its root, at its core, it was, um, I felt like I was, when I photograph a piece of, raw landscape and I frame that moment um you know for me there's a whole bunch of emotions involved because I feel like it's a reminder to me and not everybody will feel this way so I understand that and and I don't say this to make waves or anything like that but this is just me personally um I say I, I I see I see it as art and so I see intention through that and, you know, we can always debate on how it got to what state it was. But at the end of the day, I still think it's beautiful. It's hard for me to look at the Milky Way and say, like, oh, man, it just doesn't do it for me. You know, I, I, I don't think that way. It's really inspiring to me. And it just puts me in this mindset of a higher power, of a God of some kind. And so 
I, I, I would say like an artist of time and space. And so it really kind of, um, like I said, it was a, a spiritual awakening for me, um, both in music and, and in landscape photography of, of just believing in God. And, and so and through that, I found a lot of purpose behind what I was doing and um, meaning behind what I was doing. So it was, it was a hope for me when I photographed landscape. And, and it's my hope that I can just encourage somebody with that, that like, wow, that's, that's awesome. You know, maybe, maybe I am here for some reason and that I just didn't realize. And maybe I do have some untapped potential that I just haven't really taken the opportunity to try yet. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know if that makes much sense, but uh, <laughs> to try to put it into words, I, I think that that's the best as I could do. Yeah. Fantastic. When you were, when you were growing up, did you have a lot of religion in your life? I mean, did you go to no. church every weekend? It, so this was, a, this was truly a spiritual awakening. Yeah, it really out, was. Out in nature. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, and I'm still this way, you know, unfortunately, you know, we see it all the time where, you know, people will start mixing politics and all this stuff in there. You know, it was never anything regarding that. It was just, um, it was just uh, the stuff I saw, I couldn't help but like be moved to that level. You know, it was nothing like trying to make some statement or anything like that. It was just the way it was just, it just happened. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, yeah, but no, no, didn't grow up with really any of that stuff until, and then in college, um, it wasn't until I really started maturing as a performer where that became a real thing. And I was able to kind of set my ego off to the side a little bit um, and not, you know, like want to, I don't even know, not get so mad at myself after like a bad performance or something like that. And just, just continue to move through those failures. So and then same thing out here, you know, it's like, I, I blew it on stage so many times that by the time, you know, when I got to a level of like excellence to some degree, it was, uh, you know, it was a real thing. And, and, it, and I owe it all to that spiritual awakening for sure. Yeah. One of the themes, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I just, it just took the attention off of me. It did. It really, it, I think it, it deflected all that. And I, and I feel the same way about nature and, and I don't mean to, I think, I think it's fine what people are doing, you know, Oh, we did this, we did that. I did this summit. I did that summit, but you know, it's so me focused that I think oftentimes we're missing some of that bigger picture of like, you know, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but I would, I feel like there's a culture developing where we're not maybe respecting the environment and the land for, for what it is almost like I, I would refer to it as a sacred space in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the, areas of the JMT and, and pretty much any, any natural landscape, you know, in moments, it certainly has a sacred uh, feeling to it. And so I think that culture has sort of developed through social media and selfies. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I do them sometimes, but like, uh, I do feel like we just got to take time to recognize what's around us a little bit more too and respect that. Yeah. If that makes any sense, but yeah. Absolutely, it does. And um, we, we've had guests talk about um, the unfortunate mile pounders out there who all they're, they're all about the miles. They got to make their got to make their campsite. They got to make their mileage and <laughs> their heads are down looking at the trail and they're making their miles and they'll get to their campsite when they said they're going to get to their campsite. But, you know, they they have they've given up the opportunity to you know look around and enjoy exactly I think what you're talking it's about. It's letting nature impact you, right, more than you 
you impacting you. It's letting your surroundings sort of just say like, Hey, you know, we have something to tell you, listen up a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And what, what you have described with that spiritual awakening is another example that comes up again and again as a recurring theme on the podcast. And that is the transformational nature of nature. I mean, yeah. Being out on the trail, being out in that, out in the environment like that, people come back different for the better. Yeah, I call it objective beauty. I think I had a chat. I do have a chapter in the book called that. And that's kind of a thesis of that whole thing of like, um, you know, in philosophy, you often will argue about like, is there such thing as, you know, objective morals or right and wrong? And, and not, no, I'm not going to go down that path, but like the, the idea of, can beauty be objective? And that's when I bring up the Milky Way example or waterfall, you know, and, and, uh, and I think it can to some degree. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into some of your, your hikes. And I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested to, you know, to hear from a photographer on how your outdoor adventures and your planning and the logistics and what time you're getting up <laughs> Uh, to do stuff varies from you know my experience out there. I I I got I got a sense of it when I was going through your book, and <laughs> I I want you to share that with our listeners. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. The John Freakin' Muirpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence-inspiring education that empowers outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance and durability enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident in. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultralight. And welcome back. We're talking to Josh Endress uh, about his experience out in the Sierras over the last 10, 12 years. And we're going to get to his book in a little bit here, but one of the one of my one of the early chapters in the book details your first experience out there on a backpacking trip, and I found it uh, particularly uh, amusing slash horrifying. I was I was I was sweating for you when I when I was reading this. So uh, would you like to to share that experience with us? Yeah, this is PTSD, man. No, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was um, <laughs> it. Set the stage. So, um, you know, I, we mentioned earlier, I had done, you know, some day hiking and stuff in my local mountains, but never really any backpacking, you know, it was, I was so close to home, it never really was required. So, um, but a little backstory to all this, there was a guy who, you know, uh, once I started sort of attending a church of some kind, he was a principal of a school there. And he was a Sierra mountain guy as well. He, he had been, he retired from that and became an educator. And um, so I, I got word of this and I thought, I got to talk to this guy. And so he, um, I was like, look, um, you know, uh, you got fundraisers. I'll play, I'll play guitar for you at those and all that. And uh, can you teach me how to be a mountaineer? Yeah, for sure. And he, you know, he, I, he didn't require me to do any of that stuff. I did, but um, he was a nice guy. And he just kind of took me under his wing. 
and I started to go, well, I want to do the John Muir Trail. I hear that's, you know, that's awesome. I just want to, I want to do it. And um, so he's like, okay. And he kind of told me, you know, well, here, here, your food drops. Here's kind of how you do that and plan for this kind of stuff. You know, the, the stuff you go through when you, when you do a, a long hike like that. And so anyway, besides all that information, um, he, he finally asked, well, do you want me to go with you? And so I was like, yeah. Like, I didn't even think that was a possibility. <laughs> so he's like, all right, yeah, I'll start some. I can't do the whole thing, but I'll start with you. And, uh, and, and we'll go from there. I was like, great. This is awesome. So um, uh, it was 2011, huge snow year in the Sierra. So it's like late July. And we're starting in Yosemite. And you quickly run into uh, Donahue Pass. And I remember looking at that going, we're going up that, like, I'm not going up that, like, they're, look at, they're, they're so steep, like, it's full of ice, like, it was nothing but snow. And um, we had encountered patches here and there, but that's your first real high elevation on the trail. And uh, did you come in from Tuolumne? Yeah, from Tuolumne that, that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. we couldn't get a permit for uh, uh, Happy Isles at, the, at that point. So we started in Tuolumne and or Lyle Canyon. And I did Cathedral Peak uh, or Cathedral Lake the night before because um, I wanted a picture of it. And so we did that and we came back out and then started at Lyle Canyon. And so uh, anyway, so we ended up Donahue and he's just like, all right, kicking steps and all this. And I'm like, okay, you know, kicking steps. My toes are like numb because they hurt so bad. And uh, finally it was like, okay, you know, Jim, get in front of me. And, uh, and his, the mountain guide was Jim. And I was like, I'll just follow your tracks. And uh, so that worked better for me. <laughs> but, uh, and so anyway, we get through to Red's Meadow. He had twisted his ankle on one of uh, hopping over a stream at one point. So he opted out for these next two days. So he said, well, instead of going all the way to Mosquito Flats for this next section, why don't you guys cross country this and I'll come pick you up in Mammoth. And he's like, this might be a more fun thing to do. And I'm like, well, all right. Um, you know, at the time it was like, I just got to do, I got to do the trail. And so I was like, um, but we ended up doing this cross country diversion and, uh, across, um, we left, uh, south of Red's Meadow, um, up to Deer Lakes. And it was, uh, that was a long day and we were lost a number of times. He wasn't with us. He opted out on that. And, um, there were a couple other guys that came with me that were fairly experienced still though. Anyway, we found our way. Eventually, those guys leave, and then um, we had to skip a portion of that trail that first year because of the um, just the way things worked. People get hurt, and so we had to exit a little early. And then, so I skipped a portion at that point. I made it all up later, but uh, so the um, I met my brother and his friend who were just like me. Let's just go do this, man. This will be awesome. And so we started at North Lake at a Bishop, and um, we start going back and you know, we have a bunch of stream crossings that year, obviously because of the heavy snowpack. And I had been used to those at that point, you know, and so trudge on through those. Um, we came across one really sketchy one. It was not one marked on the map, just this um, waterfall basically on one side and then the other side going into Paiute Creek, which is, I don't know why they call it a Creek. It's a river and uh just raging down there and it's like dude what it's like nothing but white water we have to cross and i'm like oh my gosh and uh my brother is like let me give it a shot you know so we're all like creating a hold and uh he's like it's not that bad (laughs) 
oh, great. <laughs> and so he makes it across, all right. And, uh, you know, we throw our packs across at that point. We all get one. But so I'm kind of I'm building it up here. But so anyway, that's all good. We continue on to McClure Meadow. And it had been eight or nine days for me at that point. And I hadn't showered. Even when I like went out, I didn't shower. I don't know why I didn't do that. And uh, I smelled so bad. I remember my, my, we left our tents out and like we hadn't had thunderstorms at all up until this day. And it was like, what the heck is this? And it rains out here. And (laughs) this is how new we were to it. And so it starts pouring on us. And we're like set up at camp. So all my stuff is drenched because I didn't put a rain fly on. I didn't even bring one. I didn't bring one. And so they're like, well, sorry, man. I'm like, can I get in the tent with you guys? <laughs> they're like, sure. And they come in. I smelled terrible. And so they kicked me out. And uh, they couldn't handle it. And uh, anyway, I remember just feeling so down on myself. Oh, and when we got out, I lost my wedding band in Bishop, too. And so that was, we ended up finding it. A campground host actually found it. I have no idea how, but um, so I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, I'm stuck out here now at this point. Like, I was not taking in any of the beauty I had hoped. It was just like miles and miles, like head down. Like, are we going to live every day? Like, I had those questions. And so- You were in survival mode at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, and so then we hit Muir Pass. And that's when it all came to a climax. It was uh, obviously covered in snow as everything else was. Lakes were frozen. Um, and- snow bridges were everywhere and so you know you walk over the snow bridge you hear this water running under you and you're like oh my gosh like if I fall in this what's going to happen and uh and there's no one out there and uh and and, you know we're following like previous tracks on the snow that thankfully hadn't melted out yet from the day's heat and and then this thunderstorm happens right as we approach the pass and we're like oh one of these again (laughs) I just knew, like, Jim, the mountain guy said, Josh, just make sure you're never on top of a pass during a thunderstorm. Happened to hit when I was on top of the pass. And uh, so hail is coming down. It hurt when it hit you. And I had never been that stressed. And this is the only time this has ever happened to me. And this is no joke. Like, I was sweating blood. I thought I was going to die. I thought we were dead. I thought lightning's coming. We're the highest thing around. We're done. And, uh, and they have a shelter up there. Uh, Muir Hut. And so, you know, I was like, well, let's get in there. And uh, I I don't know if I I don't know if it's lightning proof. I I don't believe it is, but I'm not sure. Um, I don't remember there being any kind of lightning rod on it. So at any rate, I went in and felt like we were safe. So the placebo effect kind of took over, I think. And uh, there was a couple in there, husband and wife, and Pete and Mary were their names. And it was like sweet relief seriously to see them oh and on the way up the pass um like we had been really good about filtering our water the entire time like we were just scared to death of like getting Girardia or something like that and so like I'm, I'm getting out I had a stary pen do you remember those things yes <laughs> so, you know, it takes like a minute to hold it there and uh and so <laughs> I'm sitting here filling up my bottle I got the stary pen in there and the guys would have to wait for me and I just see him just gushing water just straight from the stream down there and it was it was clean we, we were fine but it was just a funny sight to see like how stressed everybody was that we just didn't care anymore it's like just get us out of here and so 
anyway, we arrive at the hut. Pete and Mary were there, and we're like, are we going to be okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. You know, let's just, just stay here. And, uh, and I, I don't know if they felt that way, but they certainly calmed us down. And uh, so we thank, ended up talking. Thank, what, thank goodness for Pete and Mary. Yeah, just having another person there who felt like – he knew what he was doing for sure. But, like, you know, like – just knowing that like oh my gosh i'm not the lead anymore like <laughs> i'm not gonna get us killed so um was a really nice feeling and uh now on that same token though uh, we decided it's against the rules so the, another guy showed up his name was brian so we all just started sitting around talking we weren't going anywhere for the rest of the day we were like we're done and uh it was a stressful day we were all freaked out for a little bit and then the storm passed and that's when I kind of really got that first shot for me in the Sierras of like, oh, this is what it means to be a landscape photographer. When I waited it out till sunset after a storm, you see all these amazing clouds and colors on top of this snowy pass was, was really quite incredible for me. And that's when I realized, okay, being a photographer means that I got to start dealing with these conditions a little bit more. It's not just going out when the weather's nice. It's kind of like pushing that envelope of, okay, when do I go? Do I stay? Do I go a little higher? And you always, that, that's been a game for, for my whole career in photography, but um, you know, it's such a beautiful night and sunset. And uh, the next day we, we went down through Leconte Canyon and uh, we met a ranger there. His name was Rick. And really nice guy him and his wife were there and they were talking to us and he was like can you guys give me a report on everything up there and we're like yeah sure it was scary and uh, <laughs> that was the report it was scary yeah. there were snow bridges and we thought we were gonna die a bunch of times he starts kind of laughing at us and uh he's like would you guys bring rain gear and we're like we brought trash bags and uh he goes i remember exactly what do you think honey you want to go follow him up over uh we're gonna go on a bishop pass or something you want to follow him up over bishop pass with a couple of track attacks <laughs> we had another thunderstorm brewing that day too and so anyway but he he had um oh, where'd you guys sleep last night and uh and brian just starts going oh yeah we slept in and then he, he like paused real quick because you're not supposed to sleep in the hut <laughs> he finishes his sentence mirror hut <laughs> we were like uh he's like he started laughing at us and so it was that was a lot of fun but uh we eventually made it out I didn't do the entire JMT that year and so we ended up just um uh leaving at Bishop Pass which is what I planned to do I wasn't gonna I couldn't through hike it just based on job requirements and all that so um we ended up leaving early or leaving at Bishop Pass Brian was supposed to do the whole thing and he's like can I just go out with you guys (laughs) So we took him out and took him to his car at Whitney Portal. But, uh, and, uh, yeah, that was, um, though, that, that was an incredible story because I thought to myself, I will never do this again. I was in over my head and, uh, yet I kept coming back. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of the first story there of real backpacking for me. Yes. I like that statement. I'll never do this again. Cause I've heard that from many people, you know, they go out and they have this terrible experience yet. There is something about the outdoors that just keeps bringing you back. It draws you back. It yeah, does. It was. And, and like I said, you know, that as, as someone who has valued art and trying to be an artist much of their life, um, you know, really capturing that sunset and taking in all the, the colors 
of that night, that had an impact on me. And I thought, I, I, I know what, I knew what to kind of look for at that point. And, um, and I wanted to go back and see what was possible after that too. So yeah, kind of inspiration in some ways. So you yeah. start, you start out on this trip and yeah. you are not in command. You have an experienced guide with you. Yeah. And then shortly into the trip, the guide says, you know, I got a, my ankle, bad ankle. I got to check out. You just, you know, go ahead you'd be all right. <laughs> and now you, you, you wander into the, one of the worst storms that you've experienced out there and you're on top of a mountain with metal sticks in your hands and, <laughs> and a tripod <laughs> and a tripod. Yes. Very good. That's a great, that's a great, uh, first experience out there. It was a good introduction to the harsh realities of the Sierra Nevada. <laughs> yeah. And I will go back to a couple of comments that you made that kind of uh, demonstrate the pressure, pressure there is on, on new hikers, especially if you're going to do something like, like a trail, if you're going to do the John Muir trail, there's a pressure to stay on that trail and get yeah. every, get every foot, have, have, you know, have your foot on every part of that trail, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you talked about, you know, skipping one part, but you came back yeah. and you made it up later. I did. Uh, yeah. Those first yeah. four years back there was all about like, okay, I just got to make sure I do it all. And I am doing sections, you know, multiple times too, because I just right. thought they were beautiful sections. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, over the years, that was important in the beginning to me, mm-hmm. but after that, um, maybe it's cause I did it. And then, so after that, I became more, I want to explore territory that hasn't been explored much at all or even photographed at all. And that, that became a big impetus of the project for me. Yeah. Right. And so I think a lot of your, your subsequent trips were not necessarily, you know, supposed to be through trips or of, of an entire trail, but you're, you're yeah. picking out areas that, yeah. you, that you want to photograph and right. you're planning uh, the trip and, around the timing and the logistics yes. of what the, what the photography is going to take. Yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, of like what planning a trip as a photographer, and, and that is it. You know, it making doing a lot of miles is one thing, but you have to balance that with like, you know, you can you can accomplish, you know, maybe you do the entire JMT in three weeks or something like that. But, you know, did you get what you set out to get? And as a photographer, you're gonna miss a lot of stuff that way. You will. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the reality of it. And um you'll get a lot of good things out of it, but you will miss some things out of it as well. And so, um, so it, it, it had to be, it was fine tuning that pushing that envelope as far as I could with the maximum miles with the maximum time spent at the right spots. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Let's, uh, let's talk about your book for a little bit. Maybe we can use it to help structure uh, some of your other memorable trips in the Sierras. And I'm holding it up, but I've got this virtual background, so it's not going to come through. <laughs> but uh, I want everybody to know that when, when Josh told me he was an author and would I like a copy of his book, and I said, yeah, that'd be great. I was expecting some, some trail memoir, uh, maybe you know, a paperback. And you know, three days later, I get this package on the porch, and I about hurt my back lifting it up. And uh, I open it up. It is this beautiful. Yeah, here it is right here. But yeah, there you go. That's it. That's yeah. it. Thank you. It's a beautiful, I'm looking for the page count here. Uh, 350 page, basically a coffee table book. Yeah, it's a coffee table book. Just yeah. in- incredible pictures of uh, the Sierras accompanied with, you know, some, some uh, text uh, about some of the, some of the stories that you have from, from memorable trips there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started leafing through it right when I got it. And I said, this, this is close to million word pictures because 
<laughs> it really, it really stirred something in me and got that longing going to, to get out there again because of, you know, what I saw in this book. And I love the title of the book, Josh. Oh yeah. 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 The title yeah. is it was good. <laughs> it was good. 10 years in the high Sierra. And yeah. You know, t- tell me about the title. Why did you go with It Was Good? It, well, it, it almost sounds like, <laughs> you know, you're past your prime and you're saying, yeah, it was good. But you've got, you got a lot of hiking left in you, a lot of photography left in you. Why, why the title It Was Good? Well, part of it was um, when you come back from a trip, it was always, hey, how was it, man? It was good. And um, that was always the first thing. I say, and I think anybody says, for the most part, even though it may have been a terrible trip. Oh, yeah, it was good. And then you go into what really happened. Um, but uh, and that for me, um, so that kind of started it. And then tying it in with the, relig- or the, the spiritual aspect of that, um, tying it back to sort of genesis of the, um, you know, when God created, it was good. And that sort of going back to that objective beauty of like, you know, if nature was really made, if nature, nature is good for us, it's good for the soul. And, um, and I think um, it's more than just a pretty picture. It is, it is a transformative um, stuff out there. You know, I, I, it's hard for people to put into words, but I think, um, you know, if you're inclined to believe that way, uh, as I am, you, there's, there's a purpose behind the beauty of it all. And, and that goes into you when you're out there, um, whether it's just inspiration, motivation for other things outside of the mountains, um, it spills over into a lot of life. And so um, good became uh, the, the word good, I thought was a really, it defined, it defined nature well. And so it was a combination of sort of those two things of like, yeah, that's the first thing I said when someone asked me to try out a trip, yeah, it was good. And then tying it back to the spiritual aspect and, you know, if our creator created this to be good, uh, then we, then we ought to enjoy it and preserve it and take care of it as best we can. So, yeah. I love that connection. That's fantastic. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) That is wonderful. Now, um, in the book, I know we're going to talk about a few other trips here. Are the, are the trips we're going to talk about, are they included in some of the stories in the book? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's let's go ahead. Pick one for me. What are we going to talk about? All right. Let's see here. Um, I would say we talked about the first one. I think, um, you know, hitting on, on a few different things here. Uh, let me, let me, I put some notes up here where I was going to talk about. Sorry. Um, so, okay. I think probably the most memorable shot for me, I'll, I'll start with this one, was, um, you know, many who have traveled the Sierra's, you get to know sort of the sub ranges of, of the mountain range. And um, one of the, one of the big ranges there that had an impact on me as far as developing me as a mountaineer, developing me as a photographer was the Palisades. Um, and, you know, it really, I mean, today everything is, I think, explored a lot more. Um, but back then, you know, it really just, it hadn't been photographed hardly at all. And I just thought, you know, it was home to California's largest glacier. Um, it had, you know, the, the traverse behind the glacier was like uh, five 14,000 foot peaks. And it was just this awesome, almost like uh, 
just backbone like of the Sierra of, um, and so I wanted to really understand that area more. And so um, one of the, I, one of the books that I'll probably recommend later would be uh, as a guidebook, R.J. Secor's The High Sierra. Um, and where he talks about pretty much every route possible on these mountains. And, um, and he mentions the views from them, like, oh, you know, this is probably the best view of the Sierra. And one of those mountains was Mount Agassiz. And I thought, okay, I could do that mountain. Um, it was class three um, on its easiest route from the east side, class two from the west side. And so I thought, I'll take the east side and make it a little bit more spicy and uh, cross a glacier in it and see what happens. So anyway, get this, it's October, late October, and we're out there. And I talk a friend into doing this with me as I was, I'm, a, I'm a better salesman than I ever gave myself credit for talking people into some of these things. But uh, <laughs> so we, we base camp at like Lake two along the North Fork of Big Pine. And that's, it's 3 a.m., and we are going for the summit of Agassiz that morning. And I had never been up there. It's all route finding eventually after Sam Mac Meadow. Um, and so we hit Sam Mac Meadow. It's like 4 a.m.-ish. And uh, it's freezing. It's snowing on us. And we climb this uh, sort of waterfall that's coming into the meadow from uh, drainage of Sam Mac Lake, which is above it. And so we're – but it's all ice, and somehow we make it up and I don't even know, like we can't see behind us. It's dark. And uh, I didn't even want to think about going down that thing again, but so we make it up and we are looking at this map and uh, still pitch black outside. And I, and I'm like, I have no idea where we are, man. Like I, I the mountains over here, I, I think we're here. And he's like, no, we're, we're at the base of, of Agassiz glacier right now. And I'm like, I don't think we are. And uh, just, well, let's just climb this mountain. I'm like, seriously? So, all right, let's climb this mountain. So we just start going up this mountain, which was, I would say class three, but with all the ice and snow, you know, it's like class five, honestly, because you were slipping and sliding on, on steep, steep uh, glacial moraine all over the place. And so this may go into too much detail here. Um, yeah, I, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, but <laughs> we can, uh, I... I know, I know what you're going to talk about. I know what you're going to talk about. I just read this again today. This is a great story. Go ahead. This is good. I know what you're going to talk about. <laughs> so I hit the uh, – um, we're, we're going up, and I'm just like, oh, gosh. You know, elevation starts hitting me. And anyone who – I don't know, maybe it's just me. But, like, if I'm not acclimated well, which I was not here, I just went basically right up and um, – and, you know, we're nearly at 14,000 feet, and I'm just like, oh, gosh. You know, um, I, I don't puke. Some people puke. I, mine come. <laughs> that's my favorite, that's my, favorite, my favorite line from the book, Josh. Yeah. It's, All right. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a puker. I'm a pooper. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And that, that's the line. And so, <laughs> so anyway, hey, man, I got to stop. Was that, was that, that was that was that broken out in a big pull quote on the on the page somewhere? I don't, I don't know if that was a pull quote. I don't th- I don't it think it was, but I, but it, it definitely jumped off the page at me. I'm not a puker. It's I'm easier a pooper. to write it and you know not know when people read stuff like that than it is to say to somebody face to face. But uh. <laughs> honestly, that might be the opening quote of this episode. I might start off with, "I'm not a puker. I'm a pooper." Josh Endress. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> 
I give you permission. Okay, uh, good. But uh, at any rate, we, um, I, I am hopeless, man. As far as I'm concerned, this is bringing back memories of the trip I talked about previously. Um, a lot of snow, bad weather. I am not feeling well, and, uh, and we're lost. And we weren't lost before, but we, we were lost this time. There was no trail or anything like that to follow. And shining, honestly, I, I put this in the book too, but shining your headlamp into like falling snow, it's like putting your brights on in the fog. Like it doesn't help anything. Like, well, I think maybe you're like, well, I can't see anything over there. And, <laughs> and so anyway, uh, if somehow the storm broke and uh, I remember the, the, the sun came through these clouds and, and I got one of the most memorable shots I will ever get of that range um, from that morning of this uh, just sort of uh, Sam, Sam, it wasn't Sam Mac Lake. We were above, it was an unnamed, uh, more of a tarn that we were above. And uh, um, it's shooting back at Cloud Ripper Summit uh, back there, backlit. And um, through the cloud, I just thought this, this moment will never, ever be done again because no one's that stupid to come out this time. And for one, and then <laughs> they'll probably take the right route too, uh, if they do. And so it was, we didn't get the shot from the summit that morning, but we got something really awesome that was like so encouraging. And so anyway, that, that breeds some life in the mood. And we ended up going and trying to top out still, but the weather just got, got bad again. It started snowing on us again. So we, we dropped back and, um, but I'll, I'll segue into another story along these same lines, um, you know, I have talked about failure sort of don't let failure stop you, let it motivate you. And so, yeah, I didn't get the shot, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop there. So the next year, uh, I decided not to go when it was snowing. I went in the summer and thought, okay, let me make this a little bit easier on myself. So we had base camps. We, uh, my buddy needed to finish a section of the JMT. And he was like, well, can I just finish this section? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it with you. But then can we do this mountain afterwards? Was this, the same, was this the same buddy from the, the previous trip? No. This, he, said, they, he, never, he said he's never going again with you. Yeah, yeah. They never uh, – they did like <laughs> one year. My brother – somebody asked my brother recently. Side story real quick. They're like um, – a friend of mine – his sons want to do the JMT. And he was like, Josh, you know, what, what do I, I don't want to do it. What do I do? And then I was like, no, it's fun, man. You'll enjoy it. And then I was like, here, yeah, that's my brother. He went on a couple of ones with me and Tyler was like, started talking about things. And finally he said, yeah, you know, I don't remember ever having fun on those trips actually. <laughs> because it's not until after you're done where you start laughing at everything. <laughs> that, that's the definition. I've, I've learned this in the last month or so. That's the definition of type two fun. That, that is yeah is that what it is yeah type, type, type one fun is you you're having fun while you're doing it but you don't really talk about it much afterwards type two fun is you're not having fun while you're doing it but you talk a lot about it afterwards <laughs> yes you do so type two fun yes. Type two fun that's it um but back to the agazi story so we finished a section of the jmt which was the same section though except we cross country over um darwin canyon and lamarck call and then down to Evolution Lake that time. So that was kind of fun, different, a little bit different. Um, and we did the JMT and then uh, left at Bishop Pass and keep base camp this time at Agassiz. And so I mapped out my route that evening. And then, um, again, uh, I, we started at midnight. It's okay, we're going to climb this mountain at midnight. And, and I do this 
you mentioned the timing of things. You have to do this if you're a photographer because you don't just want a middle of the day shot because you're not going to capture, you're going to get a thousand word picture, as you said earlier. You, you want that million word picture. And so you want to capture these special moments under the right light. And so um, oftentimes that means you have to do stuff in the dark. As uncomfortable as it is, you've you got to do it sometimes. And so um, we're looking at the West Face and it seemed pretty basic. It was class two and, um, and maybe three at some points. But at any rate, we, we head up at midnight. My buddy forgets his headlamp. And, um, but it was a full moon. So it actually, with all the granite back there, if you've been back in the Sierra under a full moon, it's kind of like daytime sometimes. So we could see okay. And we set up. And, you know, it's funny. When I get a shot, when I'm close to something that I know I'm going to love, like that I've been after for a while, I just adrenaline kicks in and I don't even think about how tired I am. And I am moving, I, 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 I'm moving so fast up this mountain and I finally get to the top. I'm like, whoa, you know, and like, I'm looking over at the east side of the ridge, the glaciers there. And, um, and I, I got chills. I remember this like, oh my gosh, you, because it, it drops off too on that east side. And uh, the wind was so bad though. And I remember just hopping into this like cleft in the rock somewhere. Like I was just sheltering myself. So I, I wouldn't die of like hypothermia. It was so cold um, with the wind coming through. So it was like 4 a.m. or so by the time we topped out on the summit. And um, maybe earlier, but at any rate. So I just started, okay, well, let me take some photos to kind of see what a composition would look like. Because, you know, you can't make out everything in the dark. And so moon was setting um and i remember just taking some shots okay this is cool this will work and then sunrise came i shot that and um i was shaking so bad you know when you when you shake you, you touch your face have you ever been that way and you feel like someone else is touching you yeah you're just like you're you're so lifeless you know and it's like oh man this is weird but i kept doing it because it was kind of freaking me out so <laughs> and then the blood starts coming back in and it hurts really bad but uh, <laughs> at any rate, that shot, um, I was after that shot. I had it shot in my mind for like three years. And to finally get it um, was pretty awesome. And it wasn't until later I realized, oh, I got these whole things under the moonlight. And those shots were actually in focus. And so that shot and the previous one I mentioned about when we were in the snowstorm, um, I got, you know, I was a shortlisted finalist for the 2016 landscape photographer of the year for the wow. United States. Yeah. Wow. And it was just, you know, no one was ever photographing this stuff. And, um, and so honestly, like the impetus for all these adventures was becoming photography and the stories behind them were just like, that was why I kind of kept coming back because I knew they'd be fun and we'd have all these memories, but it was honestly the, the notion of just like I had a shot in my mind that I never saw done before and I wanted to go after it. And, you know, I pretty much kind of did whatever it took to get it. And so, um, that was a shot that, uh, yeah, that was a sort of a transformative shot for me, um, was getting that. And that's in the book. I'm sure you've, uh, yeah, 2016 is when it was. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, and then, uh, um, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to tell me, and I thought this sounds familiar to me from, from reading the book. Uh, you're going to tell me that you got up to the top 
and you were you were so focused on getting up there so quickly, you turn around and your your buddy wasn't there. That was a different one. Was that a, was that a different was that a different story? Yes, the two, that was the two, uh, of, the two of that, you arrived at the top via yes. different routes. Midnight midnight um, ascents were not an uncommon thing for us. Uh, so that one was up uh, Mount Russell, which, which I'll share too. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Russell, but it is a um, it's got a gnarly east ridge on it. So all the routes up Mount Russell are difficult um, and exposed. So, well, I mean, the East Ridge, I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's, it's really exposed. So um, Mount Russell's Whitney's, Mount Whitney's sort of neighboring 14er. And um, we, <laughs> so, yeah, we started at like 3 a.m. We base camped at Upper Boy Scout Lake on the Mountaineers route of Whitney. And uh, I had done the Mountaineers route a few times in winter, actually, as well. And, and then I kept coming back because I wanted this Russell shot, and I thought, if I get a shot of Whitney from Russell, Whitney was such an, you know, it's an iconic mountain, obviously. And, but I never really saw a shot from Russell. And I thought I could do this. And, um, you know, and that's when the wheels start going. And then I talk somebody into it. It was always the same guy too. And I don't know why he kept agreeing to go. <laughs> it was a guy, I quoted him in the book. He was like, Josh, I just want to enjoy camping again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway uh so we we head up at 3 30 and the guy we had another guy with us um doug and this was his first trip with me he's pretty seasoned mountaineer as well and and he's like i said well okay so we'll leave at like 3 a.m to get up russell <laughs> he looks at finn and he goes is he serious it's <laughs> <was> like yeah <laughs> he said what why and i'm like dude we gotta get good lighting on it and it's like all right i'm not joining you i'll be up there i'll leave at five and he caught up to us he was he was really fast but uh um and part of that was i was just shooting for an hour or so and uh but at any rate yeah we my crampon um i hadn't used crampons really prior to that uh because i'd always found ways around glaciers or or uh, ice patches or i just went up them and just you know prayed a lot but uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual experience, so yes. I mean, got that going for you. <laughs> That's it. That's all part of it. But uh, the uh, and so we're going up, and he, I had the lead at first. It was kind of that adrenaline. I'm going to get the shot. I can't believe it. And then you know, Ben catches up to me, and he's like, "Hey, man, the tramp on is like, you know, I've been carrying this for like five minutes." And I'm like, "Oh, geez, sorry." I latch that back on, and then. Uh, and then, you know, you start getting tired, you take breaks, and then you sort of play leapfrog with one another. And eventually I could see light changing, so I detoured uh, um, before we hit, before we were on the true route of the East Ridge, I just detoured to go, because light was changing. I thought, all right, I gotta go. And I'm not the brightest sometimes, and I brought a thing called a star tracker with me, which was like seven pounds extra where it would track stars so you could shoot these long exposures but get no star trails on your your camera. And I thought, i got to try this. I'm going to bring it up there. And, you know, so I, I hauled a 50-pound pack up the Mountaineers route, essentially, and because of all this extra photography equipment. And so I hauled that up Russell, too. And, I, and I'm dead tired. And then, like, I can't get the dumb thing off my tripod. So I can't even use my tripod at this point. I'm just carrying it as dead weight, essentially. So I'm just trying to set up on rocks, getting this shot. <laughs> like, okay, is my camera still enough? What does it look like? You know, and, 
and building up rocks under it to get the lens pointed up a certain way. And so I'm just building these little like Karen's kind of thing where I could set up the camera and it would be still, anyway, it worked out, but it was a, it was a, it was a pretty stressful moment there when I realized, Oh, my tripod, I, I, I need Allen wrenches to get this whole thing off and I can't do it. So uh, anyway, yeah. And uh, so I, I got the shot and um, you know, but I didn't know where Ben was. He just kept moving. And so I'm like, great. And, and if you, Russell is really exposed. I mentioned that earlier, but it's East Ridge is essentially a knife edge class three of uh, climbing. And so you, um, you arrive at it and honestly, no matter which way you go, it's a steep drop off. And it's, it's a little, you know, it's, it's, it's scary if you're not ready for that. And uh, so at any rate, we, I'm like yelling, I'm yelling where I'm Ben, you know, where are you? And apparently he was yelling my name too, but we couldn't hear each other. And finally I see him, he's got a ledge above me and he's doing this number. And I was like, Oh, you are. And so we caught up to each other again and uh, ended up going on the East Ridge. We actually didn't make the summit. We, we, there's two summits. So we, I think we, we made the East. Uh, I didn't think we did initially, but looking back, I, I believe we did. And, uh, and I, I crawl over one part of the East Ridge. We're in the middle of it. And I'm like, all right, man, you know, how you feel and you want to keep going. And he gets up and no way. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I was like, all right, all right. You know, it's, it's all good. I got the shot I was looking for. And on the other side of that was Lake Tulaneo, which is, I believe it's the United States. It's the highest named lake in the United States. So it was a cool looking lake. It was, it was huge. And um, so I took some time photographing that. I kept trying to talk one of the guys into dropping down the ridge so I could photograph them next to the lake to give it scale, but they wouldn't do it. And, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was, that was Russell and, um, you know, but, but all these, the Gazi's trip, the Russell trip, you know, they, they prep you, you know, each, each time you kind of grow a little bit as a mountaineer too, right? Like the exposure you, you receive on Russell is pretty jarring. And, you know, for me it was too. And it was like, okay, and you have a new level of expectations in the mountains now, all of a sudden. He's like, well, you know what? Um, I got through enough of that where I feel like I could do it. And, and so you start doing other mountains that are like, okay, it's exposed for this amount, but I think I can handle it. And, um, and so it really helped me grow as a mountaineer and not just getting the photographs. So it's kind of serving dual purposes in some ways. Yeah. Right. I hope your buddies felt that same appreciation that they were growing as mountaineers. They did. They did. <laughs> but, you know, um, it was just, um, well, pain is temporary. I'll just say that. Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we go to a quick break, uh, I do want to go back to the star trails because there is a shot in the book that is, oh, yeah. stunning. it was, mm -hmm. that was stunning. And I believe it was over a thousand Island Lake with banner yeah. mm -hmm. with star trails, uh, around banner yeah. peak and then reflected in the, in the water of thousand Island Lake. That was yeah. just magnificent. Yeah. That, um, so there are times when I do want star trails and I, the only reason I'm not a huge fan of them sometimes is because it's so, um, you know, that's not what your eye sees. And so I have a hard time like doing them because people, I feel like people can't put themselves in that, in that situation. So, but I thought I had an idea. I thought, well, if I take a, you know, 15 minute exposure and get some star trails and then take a quick exposure and stop them. So I blended exposures where, 
it was like I took a standard uh, picture of the Milky Way. So I had kind of these star trails sort of racing and then coming to a halt is where I blended the second image in. And so it's, um, I thought that was kind of a cool technique to, to try and, and it worked out. But actually that night, um, this is one of the other stories I'll share. Do you, do, you, do you want to go to a break real quick or do you want me to share it? Yeah, I think we should take a quick break and we'll come okay. back to this story. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. All right, welcome back. Now, before we went to break, you were just getting into another story. Let's, uh, let's hear what you got for us, Josh. Yeah. Um, you know, at some point when you travel the mountains, you always have a bear encounter or some sort of wildlife encounter, I feel like. And um, <laughs> this was close encounters, man. Uh, so that Star Trail shot we were talking about, I was out at 3 a.m. So, you know, normal thing, except this time all my friends said, no, we're sleeping. And uh, so I was out by myself and around Thousand Island Lake and we were, uh, I got to one of the, you know, little jetties and I was shooting and, and I, I start backing up through some of the foliage, uh, there and <laughs> I, no joke. I ran right into a bear, just right in the area doing its thing, scared the heck out of me. And I just see these eyes going up and down, you know, making this noise, growling at me. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> they always say, well, you know, bears aren't going to hurt you or anything. But, you know, I ran right into this guy and obviously startled him or her. And, you know, he startled me. So I'm just backing up slowly, just like, oh, man, you know, uh, don't charge me. And I, I make it back to camp all right. And I, I, I sit at my, by my tent. I'm still outside just trying to recompose myself. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back out there, get the shot. Um, I'm just going to go to a different spot. So I go a little bit closer to camp this time. And, um, and I can spot the bear out there still. I can see him moving around in front of me on a different little uh, island out on the lake. And so I'm like, okay, he's out there. Uh, so I start setting up for that star trail shot. And then <laughs> I hear this splash. And I just see this head coming out of the water at me now. Now he's swimming over to the one that I'm on. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know what's going on? <laughs> But for whatever reason, watching him swim through the water or her uh, was, it just made me laugh. And uh, I didn't feel like the bear cared about me at all at that point. So I just kept the, I, I just, I went on to shoot and it turned out to be a great shot. But it was, uh, that was a first for me. Just literally making contact with a bear while I was backing up was something that, uh, you know, I soon will not forget. So. <laughs> yeah, so you were backing up. You were backing up into the yeah, my tripod. I, I remember the, the the description, and yeah. you, you you and the and the bear knocked butts, right? And 
I think I ran into his face, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Based on how he was facing when I saw him coming up and down at me, uh, I mean, maybe maybe he turned around real fast, but from what I can remember, I, to be honest, I don't know where I hit him, but uh, regardless, yeah, I, I saw his face after that. <laughs> That is, de- you can't get much of a uh, much closer encounter than that. That's uh, that's pretty close. You can't. And, uh, it, being alone was one of those things. It was just like, ah, gosh, you know, um, wildlife wasn't usually my concern, but uh, it's one of those things, you know, don't hike alone, especially at night. Do your best to talk somebody into it. <laughs> <laughs> Which you, you do a very good job of. Uh, yeah. Well, most of the time. Said, I, I, most of the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when, when exactly did you know that you had a book in your future? Uh, yeah, that came like probably second half of like the 10 years that that book encompasses. Um, I was developing a body of work at that point that I felt like I had to do something with. I didn't feel like posting on Instagram, you know, or social media was really doing it justice to some of the stories behind the images and not just that, but the images themselves, right? We, we are so tied to, you know, these devices, our phones and um, stuff kind of gets lost in there, no matter how good it is. Um, You, you know, you you get in this pattern of scrolling through and I just thought, you know, I, I don't want that to be the end life of the work. And, and I wanted a platform where I could really tell in depth stories about what it took to get this shot. And, um, and that was funny. When the book came out, the first thing people told me is, I had no idea you had to go through that to get that shot. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, these were, these were uncommon shots. I don't, think any, I don't think that a lot of these had ever been done before. And uh, some of them, you know, certainly were. And, but, um, you know, for the most part, I tried to take on things that I, I just never saw anybody do. And so from a photographer's standpoint, um, you know, I, I won't tell the story, but Horsetail Falls is a good example of that shot by thousands of photographers and thought, well, I'm going to go shoot it from the face of El Cap and see what happens there. <laughs> you know, it worked out. So, um, so I just didn't feel like, okay, cool. I got this post, you know, to go up on the internet. I, I didn't want that to be it. And, and honestly, I love the world. We all love the wilderness experience of kind of checking out for a little bit where you can sort of get away from the chaos of the world to some degree and kind of just get back to basics. And I felt like a book, does that to you um regardless of what who, whatever book you're reading you know you sort of have your attention span just on that you have no ads on the right side bombarding you with things or or whatnot right you you can sort of close that out for a few moments and almost kind of get in that frame of mind uh that you get into when you're out in the wilderness and so i thought it was important to put in a platform such as a book yeah and let's talk about the structure of the book, the format. Um, there are 10 chapters. And how did, how did you decide yeah. to arrange those chapters and uh, the format within the chapters? Yeah, I would say, uh, so I went through the idea. I thought I, thought I would do a location-based thing where I would say, like, maybe go along the John Muir Trail and say, okay, you know, this section to this section, that section to that section, sort of segment it that way with photos. But by the end of the project, you know, it was way, it was more than the John Muir Trail at that point. It become encompassed a whole lot of things. So I didn't want people to feel like, oh, it was a book on the JMT, you know, because it's not. Um, and it, um, so I had a hard time 
defining locations with that. Um, and so over the, I just kind of thought, well, how do I, there were so many years I did so many different locations and, um, and I wanted to tell the story of um, me sort of changing as a person and developing not uh, only as a photographer, but also as a mountaineer and sort of that spiritual impact in my life taking shape over the years and, and that maturity in, in all ways of, of climbing mountains, of traveling mountains and of becoming a photographer. And chronologically, I thought was a really just authentic way of doing that um, where people can sort of get an idea. Oh yeah. I remember my first backpacking trip where I was totally unprepared or something like that. And the going into, you know, more serious alpinist stuff where like, Oh yeah, I, you know, that's a serious mountain and that, that's inspiring. And, and sort of, I don't know, just watching the development of a character, I think made it make, make sense chronologically for me. So yeah, it was really nice to see the progression in all three of those areas that really came across well. So good, good, the, yeah. you, you were successful <laughs> in that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. And what, what, what feedback have you gotten from folks on the, on the book? <clears throat> so far, it's all been really good. Um, I'm waiting for a bad one. You know, I always get scared when I open a, a, a message up or an email up from somebody. You know, I'm like, okay, they went out of their way to contact me. Either the book's damaged or I, I think, I just think negatively at first. Like, I don't know why I just do like, or they're going to hate it and I'm going to have to give them their money back or something like that. So I, uh, <laughs> Every time I opened it, it's just been, I just had to write to you, you know, this, this is so much more than I ever expected. And uh, I think they're, um, <clears throat> you know, th- those who travel the Sierras pretty seriously, um, it's fun to hear them write to me because they know the areas and they know, they know the shots right off the bat. Like, um, and they can tell, like, you went through a lot to get this and, uh, you know, thank you for sharing. And, and people are just, the quality of the book, honestly, is what's come through mostly in it with this initial wow factor of just like, oh my gosh, it's a brick. And then, uh, and then you open it up and, and the pictures and the stories, <clears throat> they don't read the stories, you know, right away, but it's the, uh, I think it's the photos, the impact that they have on them as looking through them. And that's the difference that you don't get on a, a phone device. You know, mm-hmm. when you scroll down and you see photos that big, when you open the book, you know, you see them bigger than your monitor. And, um, and, and I think that impact, that initial impact has been the biggest point of feedback from people. Um, and it's been really encouraging, man. I got to say, like, when you put yourself out there like that, I mean, you do it with a podcast, but you know, you leave yourself kind of vulnerable in some ways, you know, like I said, in the beginning, you know, well, if you don't like it, just keep that to yourself. Right. (laughs) Yes. uh, (laughs) That, you know, that's a real thing. You know, it's kind of like you're putting your passion out there for others to enjoy, but also others to critique in some way. And so, you know, um, it goes with the territory and, um, so far it's all been really positive. And, and honestly, like I, it's, it's gotten me, uh, I have met some, some of my heroes from it too. Um, Chris Burkhardt is a photographer. I, I really enjoy, I, I've always enjoyed his storytelling. Uh, he does a lot of surf stuff, but I think um, the way he presents his stuff is really well done. And um, he actually helped me finish the book out a little bit and I reached out to him and that was a really cool thing for me to kind of um, have him be a part of that for me, the, the making of the book. Um, you know, he didn't have to do that, but he did anyway. And then going to his studio and meeting him and talking to him about it after it was done was, was a fun experience for me. 
And then uh, Mountain Guide in the Sierras, uh, who I met once um, on the Mountaineers route, uh, my first time up in the winter, uh, his name's Kurt Wedberg, um, uh, giving him a book and, um, you know, hearing his feedback on it was, was really special to me too. So um, he's, he knows the Sierras probably better than anybody. And, and to have him write me an email and just tell me how much he's enjoyed it and how much of a work of art it is, we called it. Um, you know, that was pretty cool. So, yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. And now we've, we've ripped, we whipped our, our listeners up into a frenzy and they want, they want to buy this book. So how, <laughs> how can they find this book? How, how can they get, how can they acquire this? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the easiest way is to go to my website, which is just joshendress.com. Um, you can find that through my Instagram profile, which is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, JMTI. And, um, uh, but it's easy. You just go to the website, you get the book and it'll take you through the steps and I'll ship it out as soon as I can. So, <laughs> which is usually the same day or the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, can I, can I pin you down for a top, your, your top three shooting locations in the Sierras? What, what are the, the top three areas you like to photograph in the Sierras? Yeah, um, got to narrow it down to three. Uh, obviously, I mentioned the Palisades. I would say that was number one for me. Okay. Um, mainly because of the ruggedness, and I felt like it hadn't been, it just, it, it wasn't overly photographed, if photographed at all. And so photographing even just, not just the traverse, but, you know, in the book, that I show pictures of the glaciers uh, there and capturing those under good lighting. And then even the North Fork under some incredible sunsets. That was a lot of fun for me. Um, Palisades would be right up there. And, um, you know, I would say, oh yeah, for sure. Um, the other location was like North. So kind of like Northern, Northeastern Yosemite. Um, so in Tuolumne a little bit, but even more Eastern than that. Um, I have a shot in the book and locations have a way of, right. They resonate with different people for different reasons. And, um, a saddlebag is a place that is borders Yosemite national park on the Eastern side there. And, um, it's home to a pretty, a pretty, uh, great traverse between North peak and Mount Kness. And, um, you know, I'd done, I, I hadn't done North Peak, but I did Kness in the book. And I, I wanted a picture of that basin because that was where I first really started experimenting with off-trail terrain, um, you know, 11 years ago with Saddlebag. And then my kids, each year, my wife and I will take them on, out on a backpacking trip. And uh, they're getting older. Mine's not 22. Uh, <laughs> I have three of them, eight and my daughter will turn six and then, uh, three. So eight, six, and three. Um, and, uh, you know, watching them grow and have a love for the outdoors, whether it's fishing or learning how to backpack makes a location pretty special for me. So, um, that has happened in the saddlebag area where we take them back there and camp next to the lakes. And, uh, and so that was one of the photograph. The last photograph in the book was this picture from Mount Kness overlooking those lakes we camp at. And so that would be, and they're just beautiful. The glacial color in those lakes is awesome. You know, uh, same with the North Fork lakes. Um, uh, so Saddlebag, Palisades. Uh, lastly, let's see here. If I had to pick a third location, <laughs> the Evolution Range. Yeah. 
yeah. through the JMT. It's beautiful. It's beautiful back there. Um, the inconsolable range is nice too, but I consider that kind of, it's so close to the Palisades. I kind of consider it one of the same. So, um, but the evolution range, even on, on both sides of the main, uh, ridge there is, is so beautiful out of Sabrina and then back, back in the JMT. Yeah. Got it. Three epic locations. Fantastic. Yeah. Remote, you know, the more remote, usually the more I like it. So <laughs> Agreed. Something about those remote locations. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Josh. Josh, you know where we are? Where? <laughs> We're at that time of the episode where I turn to you and ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. What little piece what? of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? Okay. Yeah. You mentioned you were going to say this in the beginning of the show. I did. All right. Here's what it is. Um, no matter. I think being in good shape is a good way to go. So we all, not all, but many of us have full-time jobs or whatever. We're trying to pay the bills. And so we have our time consumed or we're parents and you know, that happens too. And so you, at least that's the stage I'm at now, but regardless, um, I would say the pro tip would be to keep yourself in shape. And by doing that work within your schedule. So like what I do, um, is uh, I work in this office and I, I, I create like a little makeshift stand-up desk with like a box and I wear my backpack every day and I walk around with it and I was doing yard work out there today. You know, I wear my backpack and, um, and what it does over time that you will be so much more prepared by doing those little things. I mean, I think those are more important than I, I run a lot, but doing that blows just wearing a backpack day in day out is so much more important for, for like comfortable mountain travel. If you can make that second nature, that weight, um, I think that's huge. And then, um, you said, well, that was one pro tip, but I guess if, Oh no, you, uh, are we going to do something that I was dying to tell you? Yes. That, that we didn't. Okay. Yes. I'll make, save that for later. We'll get yeah. there. But pro you, tip sold, of the week. Yeah. You, you sold me with that pro tip. I'm going to wear my backpack to work each, each day now. <laughs> you should, yeah. just gonna show up to the when school. we had when we went to the office yeah i would i would walk to work in my backpack and you know it just became second nature because i did it with camera equipment i had to make sure that having a camera in my hand was was just totally a natural feeling for me and um so yeah same idea Okay. Fantastic. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is almost in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Josh. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Josh, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah. So right now on social media, uh, the only one I have is Instagram. It's the only one I, uh, I really, I use, uh, I don't update maybe as much as I should. Uh, but I try to keep things uh, moving for the most part, keep it consistent. So that's JMT guy. Um, and we've said that a few times on there. Hopefully that's easy to remember. Um, I'm a nice guy. You can reach out to me with any questions. I'm happy to answer. I love interacting with people. So, um, that's probably the best way, uh, to keep in touch with me and, and keep honestly with the latest. I don't run a, a blog on my website. So, um, you know, uh, nothing there unless you really wanted to order something or email me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, or, or find me out in the mountains and I'll be happy to talk to you there too. <laughs> okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, and now mm -hmm. TikTok. 
And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. Josh, I'm also looking to you to share your recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, YouTube channel, something, some kind of media that's going to help our listeners stay connected to the outdoor adventures. Uh, we're calling yeah. this our outdoor media recommendation. What do you have for us? Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a big book guy. Um, uh, I, I like the other, the other uh, forms of media as well. Um, but I like the book for reasons I mentioned earlier, of just sort of drowning out everything else and focusing um, on the thing at hand. Um, so uh, my book, no, I'm just kidding. I, 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 uh, but, uh, we'll, we'll stipulate your book should be at the top of the list. <laughs> but in addition to your book. Uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. No, um, I would say, uh, I mentioned it earlier. I'll give three recommendations, um, mainly that inspired me. Um, one was uh, the guidebook. The best guidebook, I think, for the Sierras ever written is R.J. Secor's The High Sierra. It will tell you every route possible on, uh, on summits. Um, and it's such a good foundation to have and take with you or fo- make photocopies of when you're out there. Um, so I would highly recommend that to anybody serious about Sierra travel. Um, and, um, secondly, um, going back to kind of my philosophy and photography, um, the sort of the art found in nature, I think, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but Chris Burkhardt put out a book, uh, titled at Glacier's End. And it was about all the glacial rivers in Iceland, um, that he photographed really I think all of them aerial shots and it gave this whole new perspective on like the land and just the abstract artistry behind that. It was really, really came through really well in that. And um, so just from that perspective of like looking at nature as manifested like art by a creator was, it was pretty awesome to see those shots come through. It was really, really unique and, and, and a creative uh, project uh, that spoke volumes about the art and nature. And then third, um, as a photographer, uh, Galen Rowell really helped me. He's a, he was a Sierra photographer. Uh, he's well, he was a, oh, international photographer. He, he died, uh, I, believe, I believe, early 2000s, I, I, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that. But um, anyway, he used to have a gallery in Bishop that's been taken down now, um, unfortunately. But uh, he wrote a book called The Inner Game of Landscape Photography, and if you're interested in any kind of landscape photography, I think that's a good place to start because you find out what it, ha- what it takes um, to really uh, get those, uh, as, we, as we keep mentioning, million word shots. And I remember him, I remember specifically Evolution Lake, he uh, waited nine days just there for a sunset that he got just in that one spot, you know. And so it kind of speaks volumes of you got to get to a place, but then that's only half the battle. So, yeah. Those are three outstanding recommendations. Thank you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and as you, as you uh, foreshadowed, before we wrap <laughs> things up, our final segment is called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell me about? Yeah. What was I going to say? Right, did I write it down? Let me see if I wrote it down here. Uh, I would say, oh yeah. Um, we were talking about uh, the, uh, the keeping in shape and all that. Um, you know, I, I think um, it's easy to uh, get sidetracked as we get older. You have, some of us have kids, uh, we have jobs and things like that. And I mentioned the conditioning part of that, um, you know, but I, I think 
that plays a role. Like don't, don't give up on, you know, your outdoor dreams or those personal project dreams. I think, uh, you know, even with me full-time gig and have my own thing going to, um, and, and having kids and all that, like it still was possible to do all this stuff. And, um, I really just want to say like, you know, it, it's easy to surround ourselves with like what the world throws at you, but don't, you know, surround yourself with good people. And, and I think make time for that because you mentioned like what keeps you inspired, like uh, media that would inspire you, but having friends that, you know, who are into this stuff and meeting with them on a regular basis, that is huge. And that is honestly a big part of what keeps me motivated. I, I mean, I have lunch with guys every week who, you know, they're out doing stuff more than me these days, you know, and we have to share stories. And that is like, you know, it gets ideas and motivation in me and reach out to the pros. Like communication is so easy these days. Like I mentioned Chris Burkhardt, I, I just emailed them and he got back to me and it was like, Oh dude, you're like, okay, cool. You know? And, uh, and, and I, I hired, um, I, I don't know if you're going to ask this, but like part of what's coming in the future for me is finishing that Palisade Traverse or at least, Maybe not. I'm looking for a shot, right? It's always about the shot I'm looking for. So um, I'm actually looking for a shot from Starlight Peak um, along the Traverse. We're probably going to spend the night up there. And uh, I'd like to get somebody on that, what we call the milk bottle. Um, it's a 5.7 climb uh, up that. And uh, someone at night under the Milky Way on that. And so I was like, I, I reached out to Kurt Wedberg, who's a mountain guide. And I was like, hey, man is this possible? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I'm, we, you know, I'll hook you up with this guy. So I'm, I'm meeting with a guy named Ross Hill. Uh, he's a great mountain guide. And, uh, and we're going to try to make this happen. And, but I mean, like, you know, if you're interested in going to that next level, I just like, there's so many ways to do it. And even if you're a beginner, you know, again, like those, there's so many avenues you could take now to, to make, stuff like this happen and all i would say is if you feel like there's an opportunity there don't pass it up because like no matter how busy you are you'll find that you had time for it yeah thank you josh and you just stumbled across the the reason for this podcast's existence it's a way for me <laughs> to talk with like-minded people and to touch base with experts occasionally so that's exactly right fantastic yeah. That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> well, that is a wrap from the John Freaking Muir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Josh? Well, I, I don't want to miss anybody, but uh, certainly my wife and my kids, they make it possible and they're a big part of the inspiration and the work I do. And um, my parents and my, my in-laws have always helped out a lot in this project by uh, busing us a lot around, <laughs> picking us up at trailheads and whatnot. Um, and all my buddies who have been on me with the, on the trips, they know who they are. And you know how much I, I love you guys. And you're a bunch of dirtbags, but I love you anyway. And uh, <laughs> in a good way, you know, we're just, we're just all dirty. I don't mean like it in a bad way. Uh, right. But anyway, that would be, uh, yeah, those guys, all of them, you know. Um, I won't name everybody, but. Fantastic. You do a good job of naming them in the book at the very end. And of course we would not be, yeah. we would not be successful without our support staff. So uh, very wise Absolutely. of you to recognize your, your wife in that, uh, in that <laughs> shout out. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you back into a bear during a 3am Alpine photo shoot. 
the trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. 